0: Hello, Knuckle Busters. It's the founder of Code One Maintenance. Welcome to the Code One Maintenance Podcast, where we provide guidance to aviation maintenance credentials. Please be your leader and share this with your coworkers, friends, and anyone aspiring to be an aircraft maintenance technician. Enjoy our show. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is uh, Joe Zaragoza from Code One Maintenance. I'm the founder and owner of Code One Maintenance. And I'm here with our director of training, Dave Chamberlain, and uh, we're going to talk about the benefits of an A.M.P. certificate while you're serving. And I want to introduce you to Dave Chamberlain. Let him uh, uh, talk about his background and his experience
1: so far of being an A.M.P. during his service. Uh, Go ahead, Dave. Hey, hi everybody. So. Uh, I started my career back in uh, the mid-1970s and went to A&P school. Uh, As far as the military goes, I was born on an Air Force base and my dad was a crew chief and my grandfather was a crew chief in World War II, so it sort of runs in the family. Uh, But I started A&P school and then uh, eventually ended up after uh, uh, working out of the trunk of my car for quite a while in Colorado. Uh, My wife convinced me to... Go in the military, so I ended up becoming a crew chief in the in the Air Force. Ended up teaching at Shepherd for four years, and then uh, moved on from that uh, to the Air National Guard. Spent 38 years in the military. Retired as a as a as I say an E nine because it's the people I work for that actually get determined whether I was a chief or not. Uh, but retired as a a, a chief with an A ten unit. But in the middle of all of that, uh, did a whole lot of other things within the industry, working for airlines, Part 135 operators, uh, FBOs, working for manufacturers such as, uh, such as Rolls-Royce and Raytheon, uh, taught for Embry-Riddle for a number of years also on the side and uh, got a master's degree with them and a bachelor's degree in education. Technical training instructor in the Air Force, uh, so my background sort of runs a whole gamut of uh, training and maintenance, both in the civilian world and in the military world.
0: All right,
1: awesome. Um, here in the last
0: few months, we've been—I've uh, been doing a lot of uh, research uh, regarding A uh, and P's. You know, some even in my own experience where. When I was trying to pursue the AMP, uh, one of my last supervisors in the military told me that, uh, Why are we going to spend money on you while you're about to get out? And there's kind of common across, at least in the online stuff, where a bunch of uh, you know people are saying that, right, especially leadership, are talking about how, Why are we going to give our technicians an AMP and they can use that when they get out and we're gonna be the even more uh, shortage of technicians. And and that's what spr- kind of sprung up this uh, this conversation, this topic for the day of having to been, having a having your crew chief or maybe an avionics guy having his uh AMP or at least his uh, airframe rating. And uh, that's that's the big topic of the day and we gonna, I think there's more of an upside of having an A.M.P. Uh, crew chief for avionics or electrician than it is not having them uh, get their certification. Uh, and we talked about it a little bit today, and you know throughout this time since you've been here. Uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts. As being an E9 and uh, been in the military for quite a while, what what uh, do you think the benefits are of being an A.M.P. during your service?
1: Yeah. so one of the big things is and this has been going on for years is the topic of morale and i mean how many how many years have you know we in the air force been talking and saying you know how can we help with the morale of the troops and you know we come up with these different programs and you know people i think you know try to do their best with that but in a lot of cases there's sort of a A short-lived sort of thing you know you have a family day or whatever it happens to be or you know an awards program those things sort of just only last for you know the day or two that it's going on but if you look at in the civilian world one of the things that they say that uh, you know when they uh, when they survey employees and ask them about uh, what what sort of things increase your morale Uh, and your your happiness with your job, a lot of them say it's additional training. And it it, it certainly holds true that people want to be invested in. And so from the military standpoint, uh, you you, you look at yourself, and if you got a degree, a bachelor's degree, or any sort of special certification uh, during your time in the military, whatever it might have happened to have been, Uh, I, I got like, I went to the MRM course and became an MRM. I don't remember what level two instructor, I think is what it was, which meant that you could go teach other people, the MRM course. Uh, that meant a lot to me that I was chosen not only to go to the MRM course, but then I became the level two instructor to go along with it. And that lasted for a long time with me. So if you want to do something positive towards people's morale, you can say, Hey, I do want you to get your A&P license or your A license or your P license or whichever, whichever one it is, because they, they will see that you are invested in them. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's morale is one of the first uh, big things and it has that lasting effect because since it is a lifetime license, you, you walk away with that. And what that does too is in a certain respect, it puts you above your peers, um, You know, I mean, it's not something you lord over them, but certainly you're going to be, you know, a little bit better trained than what they are. Right. Uh, Another reason I think to do it is is just the fact that we we talk in the military too all the time about people being well-rounded. Right. Well, uh, in some cases, things are so specialized, especially in the aircraft maintenance career field. You look at the times that we've done things like. Uh, rivet workforce and uh, cross training and cut training and all of these different programs we've done within the maintenance force to try to get people experience in these other areas so that when a crunch happens or let's say you're deployed and you know a couple people fall out in one of the shops, then you've got a way to at least someone to kind of lend a hand if you've got some extra manpower from the other side. So this is just another sort of, uh, you know, fork on the triad, if you want to call it that, of a way of having people having more experience. The other thing it does, too, is, is there's times, especially as you increase up through management, it gives you a, a broader perspective on, let's say, some things that they're doing in the civilian world, especially if, if you've got people in your organization that are working part-time jobs out in the civilian market in aviation. There are, you look at the number of programs and plans that have come into the Air Force from the civilian world and you know, over my 38 years, I saw a whole ton of them. So a lot of them came and a lot of them went, but there's still always pieces of those programs Mm -hmm. that have a tendency to kind of stick around and there's incremental improvements that happen because of things. And if you don't have those people out in that civilian world and you're all insulated within just the military in our own little world, you don't get that. And so those people that get that training and have that contact, they can ask questions and say things like, hey, you know, is, in the civil world, we don't pre-flight an airliner every single day. Mm-hmm. We don't look at the airplane from tip to tail every single day. Is there a reason why we're doing it in the military? And, and yes, there may be reasons that we do that. But there's still, it's good to question things, and it's good to say why. Is there a better way? And you can get that extra experience experience from that. And on top of it, uh, it it's going to help you just to, uh, as uh, you know with the experience level of the people that you have working for you. Yeah, um, they're going to have this other broad range of experience in other areas on the airplane that they can apply and I can't tell you how many times I've known guys that um you know specialists came out and they said well we don't know what's going on here this doesn't that's when they come out on a
0: timely way yeah well yeah yeah she would have to go "Go back check it out after waiting for two hours right and then they'll be like okay I'm gonna go back to my shop oh wait it's turnover time now and you know all you're looking for is just to get screws getting drilled out and in an
1: AMP you learn to drill out rivets and things sure. like that and you can at least prep it for them and and if and if a commander if a commander you know was had the inclination to do it, inclination to do it yeah. you could do things like allow your mechanic your your crew chiefs to use a johnson bar to 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 get screws out i mean yeah. if 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 they can show the sheet metal guys that they know how to do it and do it correctly Mm-hmm. well, wh- why, why waste the time waiting for them to go get all their stuff? You might have a flight line box that has some of your basic sheet metal yeah. tools there. And you can do that work right then and there. I had an instance where, um, on my 16, uh, one of the, I think it was a canopy unsafe peanut light bulb was burned out and it all got written up. And I'm like, you know, okay, it's the end of the day. I already had the airplane basically put to bed yeah. and we're waiting for electric shop to come out. Well, I won't say this officially. I didn't have a peanut bulb in my pocket, but I, I had a peanut bulb and I popped out the indicator and I put the peanut bulb in and pushed it back in, powered up the airplane real quick. The light worked fine. It's like, okay, I'll go in and I'll go sign off the forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I'm you know walking back to the, the line shack, here comes the electric shop with all their gear and everything else, oh, a big geez. roll around cart and stuff. And I'm like, where are you guys going? And they go, we're going to 261. I said, What for? And they said, Well, to fix this light bulb. And I said, Well, it's already fixed. And they said, Well, how did that get fixed? And I, I said, Well, I fixed it. And they said, You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, Well, okay, go on out there, power it up, <laughs> pull yeah. the bulb out, <laughs> yeah. turn the switch on, and see if it works okay. Yeah. I mean, when you think of those things and, and how many times in the Air Force that happens over the course yeah. of a year, how many labor hours are we spending? Right, having or waiting spe- or yeah, waiting, yeah, waiting, whatever time. it happens Downtime, to be, yeah. uh, for people to do these very basic things that other people could be doing. And an yeah. AP license is at least going to give you the training uh, to say, you know, I can do some yeah. of these basic things:
0: a multimeter to check, you know, the pins in the candle plug. Uh, you know, if they're doing landing gear safety checks or landing gear ops checks, and you know, and we're you know, we believe that maybe a switch is bad, we can. I'll check that. Right. We can check it right. with a multimeter and as an A&P, you know, that's that's some of the stuff that we, you know, train guys to use their multimeter because we don't want them to blow up their multimeter either.
1: Right.
0: But also, ensure that they pass their, their exams in, in, in a basic electricity. Right. And, you know, some of the stuff is some basic stuff like that where we wait for E&E, nothing against E&E. It's just, I. you know, some of us are the type that, we want to uh, just get the job done. Feel accomplished that we, right. you know, we were able to do it uh, within our our shift, and we can give a good plane back to the next shift or whoever is gonna uh, take over. Instead of, it, I always feel shitty when I give, you know, a turnover, and we. I mean, I have to tell him, you know, we're waiting on on specs, yeah. or we waiting on avionics, or we waiting on e and e, or we waiting on sheet metal. And those things that, uh, I can't, so many times I waited in the
1: flight line, waiting for these shops to come out. And that's, and that's an impact on morale too. Yeah. It you is. know, because mm-hmm. we, we want to get the job done and we want to go have coffee or Coke or wh- whatever it happens to be, or it might be the end of the day and you can go home and here you're sitting here waiting for an hour and a mm-hmm. half when you could be home with your family. Just,
0: even just the, the feeling of accomplishment yeah. for the day. Yeah. That feels great yeah. to me. Like, uh. Yeah, you know, we can just sit and sit and give the excuse that, hey, uh, you know, I've just been waiting here and I can't do my job, you know, and you just pawn it off. But And, and that's true in the cases because you're not signing off to do certain tasks. Right. But if that was changed, a job, you know, a job can be done. And, and like you said, the morale where, you know, part of it can be just the feeling of accomplishment. Uh, something like that, that you can easily be taught how to use a multimeter or even drill out rivets. And uh, I, I see that as a benefit. If you know being, you go through an A and P course, even a, a prep course where they teach you to uh, drill out rivets and install rivets, and uh, using Cherry Max or Cherry Locks, whoever, depending on who you talk to,
1: um, those things are, you know, it would it, it would made me feel good. And the thing, and the thing too is, is that you know, back in the day, and I'm you know old guy, so I say back in the day. Uh, you had to wait for the specialists in some respects because you had to wait for them to bring the TOs mm, yeah. because they were paper TOs. And so you didn't have a TO to do the work. And I'm certainly not advocating working on the plane without having the TO with you and open into the right page. Uh, but but now with so many of them being electronic and on a, on a smart device, then you have access or can have access to all mm-hmm. the TOs. So there's no reason why you couldn't open to the page to to disconnect this cannon plug and follow Mm. the steps because honestly, so much of what we do is not rocket science that you need some specialized in-depth training. It's all very similar, you know, make the aircraft safe for maintenance, pull the power off, pull Mm. this breaker, pull that breaker, set this switch to this, you know, disconnect the cannon plug, you know, read between these two pins, you know, Mm. virtually anybody can do that with just a, a basic little bit of, of training and then it does make you feel conscious because that's especially for crew chiefs. What do we like as crew chiefs? We like our airplanes back code one as quickly as possible and ready to fly again. And if we're the biggest portion of making that happen, Mm -hmm. then we feel good about ourselves instead of having to wait on all these other people to do jobs that we could have done, but just weren't allowed to.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of the crew chiefs who come in, uh, Heavies are heavy crew chiefs are a little better about it, but fighter crew chiefs are they lack the basic electricity uh, skills because you know they they uh they they're always at home or you know wherever they're at and and the uh, specs is right there. From what I understand, I've never been to a heavy crew chief, but what I've been told repeatedly by them is that when you go T D Y, you know you you take a small crew and. It, the chances of you going T.D.Y. On, with your aircraft is that you know uh, a lot about all systems, mm. or if not, you know all the systems. So you're a jet mechanic, you're an electrician, you're an avionics guy, and on top of that, you're a crew chief. And I wish that same concept would go into the to the uh, crew chief or the uh, fighter world as mm. well, because you know we're. You know, we we experience some of the same issues, even though we're in that same spot, but we're so far away from, say, a support or tool bench or tool parts bench, and, and you know, that's the back and forth travel is, it's a, alone is just time wasted. Mm-hmm. When they can just when they can just check certain things, having our multimeter in there, a, a few you know a simple drill kit, because if if we're if we're going to be taking out some of these, you know, high stress panels, that's going to be a uh, tough to, to take out. Most likely you're going to have a, a strip screw and you're going to have to take off that engine panel off the of 16 or the central panel where it's always tough. It's always, uh, uh, you're, you're going to get at least one stuck screw. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to call specs. And as far as on, on, the, on the job part, Stuck screws, checking, uh plugs or switches, and you know just the basic use of a, a multimeter will make a world of a difference. So mm-hmm. when specs do come out, you can tell them, hey, this pin was bad, or I fixed the grounding. Right. You know, it was the switch wasn't grounded correctly. Right. The wires were crossed or something like that. Right. And and I see it in even civilian world where, uh, you know, wires were crossed. But the simple fix that you know instead of just waiting for specs just to you know uh
1: reverse the wires you know you know that's instant fix right there right well and and, and we do have to think too about things like logistics footprint and the mm -hmm. current thing in in the dod is you know how can we do more with less which i guess is not current it's always kind of been that way (laughs) but uh you know it's how do we how do we do more with less well one way you do more with less is how many if you've got if you've got crew chiefs that are more broadly trained in some areas, then when you do have to deploy someplace, maybe you don't have to take as many specialists with you because, I mean, let's face it, on a lot of times on deployments when you go, where are the specialists anyway?
0: Sure.
1: A lot of times they're in the truck or they're yeah. back in their shack and they're playing Dungeon Dragons or whatever it is they happen to be playing at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, well, I'm you know not, they're going to say,
0: they are like, well, crew chiefs do yeah, the same thing. I know. And I, and I'm not, putting down that's,
1: that's the, that's the, yeah. the banner that goes back and forth. And we all know <laughs> that. Uh, but the, the fact is, is that uh, unless there's something wrong with the jet, yeah, yeah. then they're not out there. And crew chiefs are out with the jet, whether it's good or bad. Right. And, and so maybe you can reduce your logistics footprint by taking fewer specialists mm-hmm. because you've got people who are trained to do some of these more grunt work type Mm -hmm. things on the airplanes so you don't have to call the specialists out for. Right. So that, that just makes you more uh, effective because you can cover more areas at once with the same Mm -hmm. number of people. Yeah, definitely. And
0: uh, let's see some other benefits. Uh, One it's a lifetime certificate. Yeah. So you can always, you you can find a great job. I, I know the, the conditions of the aviation industry, at least for commercial airliners. But pretty much every every other sector is pretty well and by the time some of these guys you know transition out that certificate is still good it's lifetime and jump into you know a great paying job you know as soon as um, they transition out and they, they
1: you know it's a it's a great thing um, to have when you when you separate and, and, and yeah and that, i mean that kind of goes with you know that and a degree and everything else because let's face it everybody who's in the military whether you're a first-termer or whether you're you know year are 38 um, all the time you're thinking about uh, what am i going to do when i get out right i mean yeah there's some guys who say yeah i'm going to get a lazy boy and i'm going to sit by the creek and i'm going to fish until i die and there's some guys like that but most people are not that way most people yeah. are thinking they're not set up that way yeah. they, they didn't uh, set themselves up uh, financially to,
0: to go golfing every day or go right. fishing every day, right? Uh, it's it's rare there that I've met somebody that's prepared at 38 years old um, uh, that are financially stable like that. It's right. it's rare. It's very right. rare that I've met some, uh, some right. guys like that. Yeah, because they're just
1: thinking in terms of here's what my retirement's yeah. going to be, and that's kind of as far as they think. Right. But there's and, and everybody understands this uh, that especially if you get up in the NCO in the NCO ranks uh, in the and the yeah. officer ranks to a certain degree. Um a lot of them are thinking about I'm gonna go work as a contractor someplace. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're gonna you know gonna go work as a contractor in maintenance, a lot of those contractors, you don't necessarily have to have an AP license, but if you want to move up as a supervisor or lead, mm-hmm. then you have to. Or if you want to go in the contracting world like where I was at for a while out at Wright Pat. Uh, a lot of the people that worked at Wright Pat were all contractors, and a lot of those jobs that you get, even though you're not ever turning a wrench again. They have an A and P license as as a as a basic prerequisite for the job, or in some cases that will put you above everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, most of my life with my AMP license has been working. A lot of it's been working in managerial things where I never had to sign a logbook, right? And yet it was a prerequisite for what I did. So that that investment in people is something for them for when they leave, and that still then boosts their morale now. Right. Because they know, hey, when I retire, not necessarily that I'm going to get out as soon as I get my A&P, but when I retire, I've got this with all these other credentials that I've got yeah. that's going to help me in my life after the military. And, in fact, if you're going to work as a military contractor, what are you doing? You're back supporting the military again. So if you help your people get their A&P licenses now, right. you're supporting the future mm-hmm. military by helping to have more qualified people maintaining those airplanes and yeah. certainly if I you know if I'm a pilot and I got a contractor you know that's taking care of my airplane I want them to be a really good qualified mechanic taking yeah. care of my airplane.
0: yeah um, I was reading this report uh, by the government Accountability Office and they did a uh, study that only 10% of their newly AMP certificates from 2015 to 2018 were veterans. And uh, even, and I, I think that, uh, well, okay, let me uh, go back a little bit. And 62% were people coming out of the, the uh, community colleges, the technical colleges, the aviation, uh, what they call is uh, part 147. Mm-hmm. No experience, zero. But 62% are the uh, newly certificated AMPs, mm-hmm. and only 10% is military. And it just blows my mind that. Not a lot of them are trying to pick up military. They have the experience. They know the grunt work of it. Uh, and maybe that's the mentality where people think that, oh, I can go get a government job or a contracting job. And that's where everybody goes to. But there's tons of tons of opportunities outside of the government uh, contracting world. Uh, I know there's you know Dycor and things like that they don't need uh, AMPs but but there's you're, we were talking about uh, cargo uh, companies like UPS and FedEx and uh, last time I checked those guys start at nearly six figures if not. I think FedEx even starts over six figures. I think it's a uh, 106 106 thousand for new MP just to start and you know they get all kinds of uh, benefits too and uh, really good benefits that they've worked out with the union. Um, But yeah, I mean, just outside the government contract, there's helicopter maintenance, there's, I know the, uh, uh, what is it called, the uh, customs, the border patrol, Mm -hmm. you know, working on helicopters. They don't care if you have zero uh, experience in helicopters, they'll take you because you have an Mm A&P. And uh, those guys, the ones on base start off here at Davis Mountain, they start off at I want to say 35 an hour, 30 to 35 an hour, and that's pretty good. And you get benefits and things like that, and you still go TDYs and all that, you know, uh, fun stuff. So, outside just government contractors, I believe there's tons of opportunities in the AMP world, uh, or A AMP world, but in the aviation industry. And I, I think having an A and P, even though it doesn't require you to have it. It's just going to set you above, you know, somebody without it.
1: Yeah, and 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 the other the other thing that happens too, which a lot of people maybe don't think about, is is that um, you if you help a if you help a, you know, someone get their A and P license while they're in, and then they get out, um, and let's let's say they're you know they second termer and they leave and they get out, and they've got their A and P, and you've still got another you know 15, 20 years maybe. Uh, left in the military and then you get out and go looking for a job it happens quite frequently that people go look for jobs and they end up interviewing with a person that they work for mm-hmm. and so now you're walking into this office and it's like oh you're staff sergeant jones didn't you used to work for for me and yeah. yeah well now i'm a director of maintenance here at this airline mm-hmm. and and oh so you want a job yeah well you were my boss well you know what if you help that guy get his amp license how do you think he's going to think about hiring you yeah. uh, when you apply for the job because you helped him get his amp yeah. license i mean there's a the the aviation we know in the, in the military you know, all you got to do is ask three people and you can find out about any military maintainer that you want mm-hmm. to out there. And the civil world is exactly the same way. It's a very small place. Right. And I've been places before and walked in and they said, oh, hey, Airman Chamberlain. I've been called that in eons right. and turn around and it's some guy that I taught in school. And I barely remembered the person, but he remembered me. Right. So helping people with this is in your benefit mm-hmm. because you never know. How it's going to turn? I've had people that work for me that I ended up working for them, and vice versa, mm-hmm. because of the way just the ebb and flow of the business. So right. it's it benefit can benefit you in many ways, and maybe not even, maybe not even getting you a job, but maybe you've got a friend that needs a job, and you right. help so and so get their job, and now you know that they're the, the DOM at whatever regional airline. Right, you call them up and say, hey, "I got a buddy that needs yeah. a job. Can you help him out?"
0: Yeah. And there's a common saying with an A and that, uh, what is it? A uh, it's a license to learn. Right. So if you're working on uh, fighter jets or uh, small, small, like a UC thirty-five or C twelve, you know those those can translate to a business jet. Yeah. You know, and I I, I spoke with Bombardier uh, maintenance managers. And they love to to talk to our ATN guys because one they use the same practically the same engine mm-hmm. and the size of the aircraft is about the size of a of a business jet right uh, i'm not I'm not familiar with their aircraft CRJ 700s or some stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, but they they love our ATN guys and fighter guys because uh, because it's very similar right you know the, the size of it uh, some of the engines are, are pretty much the same Uh, and so even if you're a fighter jet and you want to work on uh, a cargo airplane they'll they'll take you i I have friends who work for southwest and they were f-16 crew chiefs and uh, hopefully i can bring him on here soon and talk about that how his path for that but the other benefit i believe while you're still in is uh, you get 30 minute, or uh, 30 what was it 30 semester 30, credit,
1: th- Thirty credits towards your CCAF yeah. yeah
0: so mm-hmm. 30 credits I mean what is it uh, and you have to have 60 so you're almost Something pretty like much halfway much there. almost done mm-hmm. with just an A&P right. to get your your CCAF in right. and, a, and, a, and a, an associates right so that's, that's another big added benefit to uh, to add to your education uh, EPR you know the education bullet for your APR
1: yeah, one of the other things too is is that, um, and I've, I've been involved in enough of this to see the students that come out of AMP and schools and you know, what sort of caliber they are, and then the caliber of your average aircraft, military aircraft maintainer. Mm-hmm. And if I had a company, I would much rather have a company of former military guys working on my airplanes mm-hmm. than I would a bunch of the kids that are coming out of a and schools and don't get me wrong. There's some good ones there, but the work ethic is just so totally different. You know, with a lot of them, it's like, what you mean? I've got to work a couple extra hours uh, yeah. to do this. And with the military maintainer, you know, if, if you tell them their shift is done after they've been on for 11 hours, they think that you're mad at them. Yeah. You know, because what, you don't want me yeah. working here anymore. It's like, no dude, you've already been here for a long time. Yeah. But the others, it's like, well, what time's our break? You know, Oh, i only get 15 minutes of break why don't i get 15 what do you mean i have to put my lunch down because Mm -hmm. there's an airplane being pulled into the hangar military guys are not that way mentality is different for sure and and so you know what do you Mm -hmm. want to put out for the people that are working on the airplanes that you're flying on from point a to point b when you have to go to a conference Mm -hmm. i'd rather much 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 rather it be a bunch of vets yeah. then a bunch of guys straight out of A&P school that went to school because mommy and daddy told them that they had to get out of the basement
0: right uh yeah, the mentality in the military is like all right we we're, we're we're gonna stay like that illegally what we can do right you know uh twelve fifteen hours, whatever I know before they started harping on hardcore on the uh, twelve hour uh shift type deal uh you know the you know if we knew that the job needed to be done. We we will stay there, you know, legally as long as possible to to get the job done. And uh, I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember the story I was telling you about the the issue with, even with my own car, going to a mechanic shop. They mm-hmm. only worked the eight hours, right. and they, they there was a deadline. He kept pushing that deadline. He pushed it twice, but that's because they were only working eight hours a day. And that's why he's gonna right. do. Right. He didn't, and my mentality was why didn't they stay as long as possible to, to get the job done on time. Right. And so, and you see that a lot on the outside of the the mentality is completely different. Right. Me, I I tell you the deadline is, you know, a week from now and we're going to, and if we're not on schedule, we're not on time to complete it on this deadline, we're going to, we're going to work after hours. We're going to work 12, 15 hours to make sure that we, you know, stick to our word that this is going to be done.
1: Right, and I've and I've seen I've seen uh, you know former military guys in airlines when there was a problem going on, and HR says you know you can't work past this time. Everybody has to punch out. Yes. I've seen guys punch out and then come back in the back door. Yeah, <laughs> and go back over to the airplane yeah. and get it fixed and then yeah. go home.
0: Uh, the the my same the same buddy who works for Southwest. They'll, they'll, or I'm not, I'm not sure if it's legal or not, but i and he's not the first one that's told me this, where they have a 24 hour shift. I mean, I don't know how that is in the, uh, where I don't know how he gets away with that, but he, you know, uh, he'll text me and saying, Hey, I'm just
1: sorry yeah, you I got could, done with, with the 24 there's, hour shift. There's, there's, there's federal rules regarding how many hours you can work, but it's mm-hmm. not as stringent as what it is for the pilots. Yeah. So you have to be given so many uh, consecutive hours off within a certain time frame. Okay. But uh, probably the 24 hour shift is legal, but probably they're also not actually, actually out there ranching on yeah, an yeah, airplane yeah, 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 24 yeah. hours. They're probably waiting on airplanes to come in. Right. A lot of cases they're sitting in a break room, right. relaxing during yeah. <laughs> during the times so while the airplanes are out yeah. in 24
0: hour shift, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. That is
1: tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, I I try to do that one time, just driving alone. I'm not even really wrenching, right? You know, on a same boring road, 24 hours is tough. Oh yeah, can't even imagine, you know, how fatigued you would be after a shift like that.
1: Yeah, and there's a whole thing with the FA with human factors and stuff like that. And yeah, you wouldn't ever want to have anybody actually working for yeah 24 hours straight on (laughs) on a problem. You really do have to give. Even when I worked maintenance control on the civilian side. I would take my mechanics and make them go to bed for at least a couple of hours mm-hmm. and get some sleep because it was right. just they would make it would make too many mistakes.
0: All right, uh, I think we're pretty much those are the big the big things the education part while you're while you're still in. Uh, it's a lifetime certificate that's gonna let you after your career in the military. You still there's opportunities for you to get out uh, even more opportunities if you left without it. Uh, I can't imagine how many times. Well, I can't imagine. I know, I've heard so many times uh, they talk about. I wish I would gotten it when I left before I I transitioned out, and then just the morale, uh, having a better uh, work center, of having a, a crew chief office or a spec office full of
1: A uh, and P's.
0: Well, and, I, and it, two, if I was a commander,
1: uh, or, or you know, uh, superintendent or whatever. I'd, I'd be, I mean, let's face it, there's lots of stats that get tracked and pushed up the line. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, if I was in command of a fighter wing, I think if I had 30% of my uh, crew chiefs that I had helped them get their A&P license during the past year, year and a half, I'd be promoting that up the line. yeah I'd be making a big deal out of that. Yeah. I'd be going to the other base commanders and saying, hey, look at what we did. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> you yeah. could have beat that. Yeah, you know, I mean, because the Air Force result, you know, revolves kind of on stats with lots of things. So
0: yeah,
1: why mm-hmm. not? Why not capitalize on that?
0: Right, you know, uh, we all want to see results. Yeah, you know, and so I can't knock on, you know, the stats and all this stuff, people chasing stats and things like that. But I mean, that's a way to to, to measure success or to measure, you know, performance of something right. is is the results. Right. And if your your maintenance technicians are are uh, saving so much time and and enjoying doing their their, their work, you know. Why you know why not uh, take that step? Yeah. So yeah, I'm I, I'm the same way. If I was a squadron commander or even a flight chief, yeah, you know, I want my technicians to be badass. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even if it's not an NP, but going to those extra extra courses like blade bending. Uh, Boroscoping or jumping onto. uh, uh, I remember there was an engine course, and this is yeah, there was like a two week uh, course of TF 34s, and I jumped on it, but they didn't let me go because I was so close on separating. Mm -hmm. But even when I was separating, I still wanted to learn. Right. I wanted to jump on and do yeah. that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Doing, you know, external tank, uh, inspection and certification and, mm-hmm. you know, even helping to build bombs. I mean, you know, yeah, I, that'd be cool. I, I, I've done that. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's really fun. In fact, I ended up teaching a, a, a team. They didn't know what the great big tap was for. Then their toolbox and they couldn't mm-hmm. get the end caps off of some Mark 82s. And, yeah. And, 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 they were trying to get the fuses to go in and there was all sorts of gunk in there. And I went and said, got in their box and there's this enormous tap. I said, well, what about this guys? And they go, what's that? Yeah. I said, well, it's a tap for cleaning these threads out where the fuse goes in. Yeah. <laughs> they go, wow, that's cool. We never saw that before. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that's part of that comes from being an AMP. I was right. aware of that and what it was to put two and two together. Went, right, right. Right. Okay. Why is this big tap in the box? Yeah. And you know, it, oh, it fits in here. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, now I'm I'm starting to see or there, you know there's a couple of programs I know Luke had a, I I don't know what the I'm I'm not sure which one is which but F thirty five maintenance technicians are being multi uh, multi faceted uh, technicians where they're learning the AFCs even the POL guys learning some other AFCs mm-hmm. like uh, electrician and being a crew chief and stuff like that and. I'm not. Maybe it's a sign of things to come in the future for the Air Force, where you're going to be kind of thrown into doing other AFc work. I'm not sure, but um, but I don't know. I, I think it's 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 a good thing for these. At least in my perspective, it's it's good that we can uh, learn other AFSCs mm-hmm. in, the, in the military service. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's just my opinion. Uh, some like may just want to hang out in the break room and hang out, and mm, not that's okay. do more
1: yeah. work. And and the ones that want to learn all the extra stuff are generally the ones that really progress a whole lot oh, faster. Exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, that's that pretty much wraps up for you know the benefits of you know having an A and P uh, while you're in the service. So uh, if you're one of those per- people like like Dave and I who we want to learn and and not wait on other people and just get the job done, or you want to get your, uh, some educational, you know, bullets and stuff like that, uh, and prepare yourself, post-military, you know, get with your uh, commanders, your flight chiefs, and see if, uh, you know, t- to get that paid off, or get that course, you know, paid, or, or just attending some of these, uh, part 147 schools, or crash course, uh, whatever it is, but, I, I think it's it's a benefit to your career and post-military career.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, all right, that's all we have. Thank you for uh, watching our little show here, and take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Code One Maintenance Podcast. Please be your leader and share this with your coworkers, friends, and anyone aspiring to be an aircraft maintenance technician. Take care.